And you're listening to IDCJBK. I'm Jack Burkhart, sitting in for Jim Chapman, who I would hope is uh, on the first tee right now. He's playing in a uh, charity golf tournament in aid of breast cancer research and uh, a great, great day for golf and uh, a worthwhile project. So I hope Jim and all the other people participating in that tournament have a great day. Now, this is left, right, and center on 1290 CJBK. And again, I have the pleasure of introducing Marion Boyd and Robert Metz as my guests. And uh, I really appreciate both of you coming along. Marion, it's good so good, good to see you. It's been Thank a long you. time. Yeah, well, not that long. About a while. Yeah, a little mm -hmm. while. And Robert, I don't know when yeah. the last I saw oh, you. years ago. Years ago, I guess. We, we crossed paths many times, but, uh, that's probably right. about a decade ago. And, of course, and, you're uh, with the Freedom Party. Yes. Still. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you the president? Ontario president, yes. Ontario president, mm -hmm. that's what I thought. And Marion... What are you doing now? Are you in the process of sort of wrapping things up following the election? Well, we had to get all the, uh, both offices, both the Queen's Park office and right. the uh, London office closed by the 17th of June, so it was a big rush. Uh, a lot of shredding of uh, <laughs> records because, of course, you have to be very careful of people's personal records right. and, and that sort of thing. So that was a very busy time. And then, of course, given the uh, uncertainty about party status, uh, I was on the personnel committee for our party, and, of course, we have a unionized staff. So there was a lot of work to do to try and reorganize what we were going to do around staff that were in danger of losing their jobs. And and have some of the staff lost their job? Oh yes, mm -hmm. oh yes. Layoff notices had to be given to everybody. There's been some some that have been retained, uh, but uh, the reality is unless uh, party status is granted, uh, a lot of people will be out of work. I don't know whether you two have discussed this with Jim before or not, but Robert, I'm going to ask you, mm -hmm. what do you think about this, the, the, this business of party status, that you have to have so many seats to, to acquire uh, further money for budgetary process, uh, hiring extra staff? For research this type of thing well that kind of thing I think should be a party expense to begin with shouldn't be a taxpayer expense uh, I think uh, if a party is big enough to get elected it should be big enough to support its own research and 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 things of that nature and would you uh, say that applies to the the party in power the governing party as well well the gov the gov as a party yes but as as a government that's a separate thing because the government is not just the the, the leading party it's well, all the parties in the but, house but, basically but the, the that's how it should be is what i'm saying the the taxpayer is not paying the cost for the party it's for a caucus that is part of the government uh, people are elected and then in order to do their job and to be able to represent their constituents they need a certain amount of support to do that that's the cost of democracy and uh, quite frankly, I think one of the uh, things that Marianne. we've seen over the last few years from this government is this uh, notion that you keep reducing the cost of government uh, in, in terms of the Fewer Politicians Act in the first place, uh, the kinds of, of limitations that uh, they now have, have included a lot more things in the budget that you have to run an office. Every time that happens, the access to the politician who's supposed to represent you by the general population is reduced, and I think that's a serious problem. Well, just on that point, if, if I may pick up on that, Marion, with the reduction of the number of uh, MPPs now representing the entire province of Ontario, you need staff, you need Absolutely. extra staff, you need extra budgets for research. Uh, uh, one person can't handle it all. I, I don't know how some of these members are going to do it. I really it don't would know. seem to me that even if an independent got elected, that they should have the same um, I don't want to call it privileges, but the same, you know, basic uh, status as any other MPP 
in the House because if, uh, if, for example, in my riding they elected an independent, I'd like to know that I could go to that independent and have the same kind of representation that I could get through somebody through a party. But you know, it takes uh, a lot of time. The kind of problems that come to you, for example, if I just think of the family support plan, for example, which was uh, such a mess for such a long time. One of my staff members could spend two or three work days in terms of time trying to sort out one case when that chaos was at its at its uh, at its height. So if you if you if you look at the that kind of thing and realize that we've doubled the number of constituents in these ridings so the number mm -hmm. of problems is likely to double uh, and then you say you have to have the same budget that you had to represent half of them you're just not going to be able to do it as well you're not going to be able to do the kind of work and the research that's involved in preparing for question period in in uh, people people call you up and give you a horror story and say i want you to ask the minister a question about this you can't do that unless you've done in-depth research to make sure that this isn't just some kind of fake story that's coming mm -hmm. forward you have to in order to have any integrity in the process you have to be sure that the person who brings you the story has their facts straight that you've checked with the other side there may be mitigating circumstances that the person who's got the complaint doesn't know about I mean, all of those things happen research into for example the funding issues uh, budgets for governments are very very uh, complex and if you're going to ask a minister a question about the way in which funds are flowing to a particular program. You have to know what the estimates were, what the public accounts are, all of that sort of thing. Isn't that available, or shouldn't it be available to every member of the House, though? Like, like um, I'm getting the impression from what you're saying that if there was an independent or someone, or just two or three people from a smaller party or something like that, that they wouldn't have the resources available there to them? There is a certain amount of, of research that's done in the Legislative Library and by the Legislative Assembly staff. On Which a is non, available to everyone? On a non-partisan yeah, non okay. basis. The reality is, we have partisan politics. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not just asking a question. It's asking a question with a political spin to try and make your point. Exactly. You can't expect employees of the Legislative Assembly who are required to be nonpartisan, and I must say, are wonderful at, at attempting to be nonpartisan, to do the kind of political uh, spinning that 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 you do in partisan politics. I mean, people may not agree with partisan politics. The reality is that's what our system is. That's what democracy is all about. Well, you know, I personally, I you know, even though I'm a member of a political party, I don't think political parties should have the role that they have. I think it should be sort of almost a secondary role, and that we should really be looking at everyone in the house as an independent, regardless of if they belong to a party or not. Uh, I think both federally and provincially we've sort of eased into the system where party politics has become the center of our democracy rather than the way some people you know sort of romantically look at democracy as you know you vote for the candidate you vote for the person uh... really at that level people vote for parties now because the parties have taken over the whole democratic process and you may expect me to disagree with you entirely i no. don't one of the reasons <laughs> i don't disagree with you is that i think one of the things we need to look at in our in our whole political system is the role that uh, uh, we, we might see um, re proportional representation right. uh, I agree. playing. I agree. And if we were to look at that sort of role, then what Robert is suggesting, that there mm. is a base level of research and so on that gets done, because in that kind of a system, mm -hmm. you do have independence there, or yeah. people who are at least not as closely tied. I mean, if we talk to Peter North from, from Melgan, um, Peter, I think, uh, found it very difficult 
uh, to do the kind of, of, of public questioning but he found that he could spend his time on constituent representation mm -hmm. and could do that kind of work in a more intense way than those of us who were engaged in critic portfolios and, and that sort of thing. And as an independent, Marion, how, how did Peter make out when he was trying to get information from the party in power, from the government in power, from the ministers, the minister's staff, well, and sure, things like that? Well, I'm sure he had the same problem. Anybody who wasn't <laughs> a part of it, I mean, quite frankly, sure. backbenchers in the Tory party have trouble getting information. I mean, it's all very, very tight in that particular government. However, I know that the Legislative Assembly staff, for example, they, 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 they provided for him photocopying uh, uh, privileges and, and that sort of thing. He was able to have the same number of staff that other people can if that's how he chose to spend his budget. Uh, the Legislative Library staff would provide for him reports and information and so on, um, which, you know, because he wasn't part of a party, he didn't need mm -hmm. the political part of it. So that that may have worked well for him. The, the the problem was the rules in terms of not necessarily being able to get a question on very frequently. And that's the whole problem about not having party status. The way the rules in the federal and provincial parliaments work, you, your, your turn at asking questions, your turn of holding ministers accountable for the actions of the government, um, uh, are are very very different if you don't have party status and you're not part of the regular round. That independent member, whether it's federally or provincially, mm -hmm. uh, very very seldom has the opportunity to stand up and ask a question. Absolutely, yeah, I find that unfortunate. I would like to, you know, I think I think most voters would like to hear more opinions expressed in the parliaments, whichever one we're talking about. And there was a there was a suggestion, you know, at the time that the rules in the legislature changed that uh, that in fact there ought to be some a a session, not just the private member session where you're speaking right. to specific bills or or resolutions, but a a sort of a free for all session where uh, in a in a as as members, not as members of parties, you actually had an opportunity to talk to ministers of government and ask questions. To left, right, and center here at 1290 CJBK. I'm Jack Burkhart sitting in for Jim Chapman and my guest today, Marion Boyd and uh, Robert Metz, and we'll be back in just a moment. And you're listening to Left, Right, and Center here at 1290 CJBK. I'm Jack Burkhart sitting in for Jim Chapman. As we've been mentioning this morning, Jim is out playing golf. I would think he's on the golf course by now. All in aid of breast cancer research. Uh, there's a big celebrity uh, charity tournament going on today. I'm not just sure what where it is being held, but uh, let's hope that they raise a lot of money for breast cancer research. Uh, let's hope so. Very much a topic on the minds of many people. Right, left, left, right, and center. I'll get that <laughs> it right. It doesn't matter what direction it's going <laughs> exactly. in. Exactly. <laughs> well, we've got Marion Boyd and Robert Metz here. And, of course, if you want to uh, call in uh, with uh, some suggestions or questions for my two guests, remember you can call in at 643-1290 or star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. And that is a free call. We've been talking about, well, I guess party politics and budgets and that type of thing. Um, let's switch the subject for a moment. Uh, the World Trade Organization this past week came out with a very uh, disturbing, disturbing policy uh, matter as it applies to the auto pact and the auto industry here in Canada. The World Trade Organization, they say that the Canada-U.S. auto pact violates World Trade uh, Organization policy and must be ended. Do they have a right to, to, to interfere 
uh, in trade relations between foreign companies? I don't know, uh, countries. Well, as soon as you get into the realm of globalization and free trade, which our, our country uh, jumped into with the North American uh, Free Trade Agreement, uh, which you may recall was opposed very, very uh, uh, vehemently by the auto industry because they were afraid very of exactly, so, exactly this. We were yeah. all assured, oh, no, no, there's no problem. Well, here we are a little over 10 years later, and of course there's a problem. There's a very serious problem, and it's not the, it's not the only problem that we'll see down the line. But it has tremendous ramifications for the North American automobile industry, tremendous ramifications for uh, one of our most productive manufacturing industries. Robert. Well, I'm just going to ask Marion, what do you see as the major problem um, if we went to more free trade? Wouldn't that be a, a better situation for everybody all the way around? Well, the whole purpose behind free trade, and certainly the MIA agreement that uh, was being talked about, is to take all the rules away and to give governments no power to determine uh, uh, the uh, minimum labor standards, minimum safety standards, that sort of thing. Now and, and now, just, just hang on a second. And I know that you're all in favor of that because we've had these arguments no. before. But um, one of the, the real issues here is that in, in many of the uh, trading partners in, in, in Asia, in Africa, uh, in South America, uh, they, are, uh, very, they have very different uh, views around labor relations than have developed in North America. Uh, the lowest possible price of labor. Labor is disposable. Uh, the the uh, the kinds of environmental and and work uh, safety, health and safety issues, uh, are are enormous in the existing industries. Child labor is very uh, common in these areas. Uh, if you are competing with a nation that has no uh, labor standards has no health and safety standards, uh, allows child labor, allows slave labor, as it happens in many of the uh, countries in, in, in Africa, as we have been hearing from the work that's been done here, then what you do is you tip the balance of trade, and, and if the whole idea is the bottom line, which obviously it is in business, then uh, what we will see is the kind of living standards that we've worked very hard to build in North America being eroded because we won't be able to compete. One of the reasons why the UN also uh, this week came out with a report again saying Canada is the best place in which to live. Now there are some concerns which we might get into a little later on. But Robert, your your views well, on this free trade? I, I've got a whole file on the MAI, MAI, the multilateral agreement on trade and investment, and it does not say that we're going to take away all the rules. What it says is we're going to make the rules the same in every country, so that if a Canadian chooses to invest in the states or abroad. He knows that he will be treated the same as anyone else in that country in which he invests. And I think that's a reasonable and, and intelligent thing. Are the rules the same, though? Well, yeah, whether I, they I, apply them or not is, well, is beyond the, the principle of that's what the, the agreement's about. And that's why you have enforcement bodies to and make the sure that they, that they do agree. If you but, read the reports from the International Labor Organization, the UN International Labor Organization, it is very clear that the difference in labor standards between countries is is enormous and that the general effect i mean if you really look at the analysis of that where labor standards are are high and the expectation of worker health safety and security of 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 their their uh, their work is high um then you tend to have a better general standard of living throughout that country than you do and ha have in some of these other areas 
the 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 problem when you say it didn't didn't say everybody had to to go to the lowest common denominator. No, it didn't say that. But that's what happens. My experience in business and in politics and everything is that whenever there are two standards set side by side and one is higher and one is lower, it's the lower one that rises to the higher, not the other way around. Well, you just look and, at funding of education in this province. Well, that's a government-run funding education. <laughs> that doesn't work in the real world. Push, uh, pushed, pushed by business. This government has been pushed by business to apply business uh, techniques to public services, and that's exactly what does what's that mean? That, that we want results from our public education system? That's no, it what means we want demands. the lowest common denominator, the lowest no, cost that, of that, labor. That's what I would blame on the government. Government goes for the lowest common denominator. Where is the word compassion in all of this? Everywhere. Compassion. Compassion is an individual uh, thing. It's something that each person either has or doesn't, and, and a system doesn't. Uh, you know. Well, well uh, Robert, I absolutely disagree with you, and I think in Canada, one of the things that we have tried to do is to set up a society that is based on on the principle that um, you you need to ensure that every citizen has uh, at least a basic uh, housing, basic se security, basic uh, uh, sense of, of of the ability to to access opportunity. We're seeing that eroded in the UN report talked about that. Well, the gap between those who have and those who do not is growing very rapidly in Canada at, as a direct result of government policies. And I would tell you that, in my view, the government policies are being very much pushed by globalized industry and, and business, not by the principles of of a compassionate society. I want to get into that in just a moment, well, but I want to remind uh, re remind our viewers uh, who we are listening to, Marion Boyd and Robert Metz, on left, right, and center on 1290 CJBK. And if you want to join the conversation with uh, some questions or suggestions, 643-1290 or star-1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. And that's a free call. Okay, Robert, you're on. Um, compassion is not possible through government. Government is basically force. And when we say we're being compassionate through government, all we're saying is that we can pass legislation whereby we can rob Peter to give money to Paul. That's basically all that the government can do. The government does, and then now we're at a point where the average Canadian has to give 35 to 40 years of his life to his government. And to, to me, his fellow citizens. Well, even that, even if you want to look at it that way, that we used to call that slavery in times gone by, oh, where where Robert. where where one person was forced to to uh, work for someone else for half their life or longer. I mean, for, these are the things I used to think the NDP was against. For much much uh, of, of 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 history, people were tithed at 10% of whatever their income was uh, directly to give to the poor. But well, wouldn't this we all be better off thing. if we were just at 10% and not 50 plus? I mean, how much of my Some life belongs to you or to someone else? And how much of the your life belongs pay to nothing. other people? The wealthiest pay very well, little. I disagree. I would say they pay okay. the most. Okay, we have someone who wants to make a comment sure. uh, about free trade. John, you're on the line? Oh, good morning, sir. With respect to free trade, I don't know whether your guests have ever read Churchill's Rights of the People and he his whole chapter with respect to the, how shall we say, in his view, the advisability of free trade. But there was one important factor that was left out, which Marion had the wisdom to make note of, namely conditions of life in those different countries. And as far as the, you know, uh, labor laws and uh, uh, adequate incomes and things like that. What is interesting, if one casts one's mind back with respect to history and Britain, 
in her empire days was the following, that Britain imported the raw materials and basically kept the rest of the world, uh, forgive the expression, but it was a form of ransom with regard to the finished product. Now, when the uh, big labor movement started in Britain in the uh, 1840s and 1850s, the manufacturers realized that there was trouble ahead. So they immediately uh, sent their factories over into Egypt, over into India, to produce the, the finished products that were then being produced in Britain. And the net result was that Britain was no longer in a position, shall we say, to extract from those third world countries the, the very products that they themselves were producing but were not allowed to, to uh, convert into finished products. John, uh, some very interesting comments there, uh, and I'm sure Robert Metz wants to <laughs> pick up on what you said. You Thank know, you for calling. Yeah, you're welcome, sir. You know, whenever we look at, a, at, at all these supposedly poor countries with, with, with poor labor standards and things like that, I think what you'll find in those countries is, is, is that they do not practice free trade, that they don't allow capital to accumulate, that their, their governments are continually redistributing wealth. And therefore, unless the capital can, can accumulate so that it can be used to create jobs and create assets that can create future jobs, these countries remain poor. Uh, the reason that, that North America was at one time considered mostly capitalistic is because people had the freedom to keep what they earned. And, and no one else had a right to someone else's earnings. And I think that's a fundamental principle, both in, in almost every religion in the world. It, you know, compassion to me and, and charity always were meant to be voluntary things, not forced things. And the minute you add force, I mean, if I can go up to you and point a gun at you and say, give your money to so-and-so over there because they need it or need something, that is not compassion in my mind. And there's no consent involved in that kind of a relationship. Well, we still so, have a lot of... A charity going on, though, in today's world. We really do. People get... Oh, absolutely. Well, for example, and that's great. Look, look at where Jim Chapman is today. Exactly. Playing for the Breast Cancer Foundation, fundraising golf tournament. Or what John Davidson did when he went... What John now, Davidson did. That's a but. capitalistic plan, because he's creating a, a ball of capital there, $10 million, so that the money from that capital is the money that will go into the research. Rather than going to the taxpayer year after year and asking them for more money, it, it funds itself. That's how capitalism works. It doesn't expect a sacrifice on anyone's part. It's a it's a win-win situation. Robert, can you can you tell me about a third world country uh, where the labor uh, uh, rules are are lax and so on, uh, where people uh, keep their own money and a and accumulate and accumulate capital? I mean, how well, many have you, you been to? I mean, for, I'm, I'll tell oh, you about I've my. I've been to a few. Okay. Well, my experience in Malaysia, for example, mm -hmm. is that people work live in little squatter camps in horrible conditions, work 10, 12 hours a day for a pittance, which, of course, they, they, they try to, to feed their families with. They have no way to accumulate capital. So I'm not sure, and, and yet the, the rulers, not just, the, I mean the business rulers, the, those who are very wealthy, just keep getting wealthier and wealthier. They don't spend their money compassionately 
making sure that those squatter what camps... What are the governments work? doing in these countries? I, I think you, you're looking at labor they're and you're looking at business. They're tied into business and they share the same values. Well, I would agree with you if what they're saying, if what they are doing is monopolizing business, which is basically uh, much of what's going on, for example, with the Canada Free Trade Agreement or, or the, uh, the Auto Pact, rather, you know, where you, have, where you have governments enforcing these things. It's always the government that's the agent of all of this stuff. Uh, I mean, a businessman will always operate for the bottom line for, for profit, but unless he has a government helping him do that, he's, he's left to his own devices, and anything he does is what he earns. But when the government steps in and says, we're going to keep your competition away from you, we're, we're, we're going to keep certain customers away from you, well, then you're going you're to have problems right from the word go. We have another caller on the line, uh, Janet, I believe. Janet, good morning. Good morning. And you have a comment to make for my guests? Yes, I do. I, I really, I'm, I really dislike hearing big business being blamed for everything. Um, and business has no heart, only the bottom line. There are many big businesses in this country and throughout the world who do think of their employees and give them as many benefits as they can without being held um, you know, by uh, union contracts. And Are I have to tell you, some of the most well-off people I know right now are the auto workers. I'm the one that's paying for a car to cover their expenses. Okay, Janet, thank you very much okay. for your comment. Thank thank you. I think Janet brings a good point, too. You know, all business is is people who are coming from every other walk of life coming together for trade and exchange. That's all that business is, is trade and exchange. And wherever trade and exchange occurs, there is money exchanging hands. And that's why government gets interested in it, because they want a piece of, a, of, a, of an exchange to which, personally, I don't think they're entitled, because that's not what governments are there to do. What are governments there to do, in your mind, Mr. Metz? Um, to protect private property rights, to make sure that people can accumulate capital without uh, other groups you know, coming after their earnings, to make sure that one person cannot impose his points of view and beliefs upon another person and to protect everyone's equal rights and and individual rights where does the money come from then for all from of these the legitimate rights? services that the government offers in order to do that for example government would have to register private property so that you can make sure that you have a claim to that if there was ever a dispute you would pay for that um, I certainly have no problem with paying for services actual services received by the recipient you're not totally against uh, taxation then um, not in that sense I wouldn't call it taxes at that point though but, but you're right. The government has a right to, to be funded for the, for the real services it provides. Uh, to me, one of the greatest services a government can provide is to make sure that our markets are free, to make sure that every individual, when they're out there exchanging their goods and services, has a free choice and nobody's telling them that they have to buy from, from supplier A and, and they can't go to supplier B, which is what our governments do today. That's but, not a legitimate function of government. But still on, on the subject of the free trade agreement, uh, how how do you answer the problem when the free trade agreement went through and the number of businesses closed down, factories closed 500, down? 500,000 jobs lost in Ontario. Well, you're definitely going to have jobs lost that were protected before, quote, protected. What that means is protected from competition from people who could do the job better. And those jobs will disappear, yes, but many more jobs were created and many more jobs are being created and always will be. That has, I mean, that's nature that's been going on for thousands of years it's nothing new um, you, you know you can't blame things like that you know if I got into a business and then the government said uh, you know they're gonna protect me and no one else can have can compete and then ten years from now they're gonna take away my protection and then all of a sudden I have to compete uh, 
well, obviously I'm going to suffer because I've had this privilege of being protected from any competition. And that that is where the evil is, is in that act right there, not in the undoing of it. I think But that that's what businesses do all the time. They 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 merge, they they lever one well, another. That's just people in order getting to together to to negotiate a better deal. Business I I, I would like to do away to with the word business. Monopolies. You know, it's like creating this collective that you can attack because it's a business, as though it, as, it, as, it, as if it were run by robots and animals or something, but it's not. It's run well, by human beings who have all the values you're talking about, who have all the com compassion you're talking about. Um, y you know, most businesses, most business people that I know are not, you know, raving right-wing people. They're not. They, I would say most of them are on the left of the spectrum. And that that's why we have so much... Uh, what, it wouldn't what we be call hard socialism to be left of you, country. however. So, uh, well, you know, I, don't I, mean, really. I don't see myself <laughs> even on that session. <laughs> no, I think you're so far off. Marion Boyd and well, I believe in freedom. I think freedom is what governments are there for. I think freedom is, is, the, is the fundamental human value and the fundamental human dignity. You know, you two government. make... I'm sorry, but you two make this program so interesting just because of where you come from. I'll tell you that. This is Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK with Marion Boyd and Robert Metz. I'm Jack Burkhardt sitting in for Jim Chapman, who is out playing golf for the Breast Cancer Foundation fundraising tournament today. And uh, you are listening to CJBK. Give us a call at 643 1290 or star 1290 on the Cantel cellular network. And here my guests, Marion Boyd and Robert Metz, and we are sort of covering the the political spectrum here this morning. Uh, world trade, uh, uh, budgets for political parties. Uh, do we have any compassion at all in government uh, or in business? Uh, Robert would like to get rid of that word business. Marion, what about government? How how involved should government be? in my life, in your life, in Robert's life? Well, you know, as a socialist, I mean, obviously, I believe the government, uh, a, a democratically elected government, has a, a definite role to play in terms of ensuring freedom, as, as Robert suggests, ensuring equity, ensuring a, 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 an adequate standard of living for all citizens, making sure that we don't have, as we do today, people starving in the streets. Um, I think governments uh, have a role to ensure that uh, the resources of a country uh, are not used just to the benefit of those who are wealthy and privileged and powerful, but are, are a, a portion of the return from those resources goes to in, ensure that the standard of living for all people uh, is adequate. Uh, that we have adequate schooling to enable those opportunities to exist and that we're prepared to to pay for that out of a shared income base, which is a tax base. You know, Mary, you just hit something that, that, that uh, triggers a thought when you talked about uh, people sleeping on the streets or uh, the homeless. You, I'm, I'm sure you're referring to that segment of society. And, and we have that, and yet uh, the economy is supposedly booming, uh, you know, I can go back uh, in, in, in reading, and, and I'm sure we all have, when we've read all about the horror stories about the Great Depression, when there were relief stores. Well, we have relief stores today in food banks. I happen to and be And that's on. in the midst of a social system that's taken well, half our income to distribute on all these wonderful social no, programs. But, but, but it, it's, 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 it's as a result of the right-wing moves that have happened in government over the last 20 years. Over the, after the what Great Depression, after the great, <laughs> after the Great Depression, things like a welfare system were set up.
things like universal education and the requirement for that education to be available to to everybody up to the age of 16 so that parents couldn't put their children out to work instead of allowing them to get an education. Um, governments took that action because they saw the devastation that happened with a huge disparity between the ability of people uh, to, uh, to be able to uh, provide for themselves and their families uh, when, when some people held all of the power and there were no programs available. Well, what has I happened the over the last while, of course, is that this move that very much fueled by the kind of right-wing views that Robert is talking about, where people resent paying their taxes because they don't, they want all that for themselves and they want the opportunity to decide what charity they give to instead of having a, basic human right? having a pooled resource that is going to look after those who may not appeal to individual charities. And that was what was happening. I mean, if you look at the history of, of looking at the welfare of the, the community as a charitable goal, there are the worthy poor, the deserving poor, and the undeserving poor. This government that we have in place has reinstated those kind of uh, Dickensian uh, values that people who, for example, have addiction problems are no longer the worthy poor. They have said they're going to they're going to require mandatory drug testing and mandatory treatment for these folks in order for them to get a basic uh, ability to provide for themselves. To get that families. from the government, from the taxpayer, not from charity or from someone else who might want to help them out, uh, Marion. But charity, you said that charities you, you are selective, and the problem well, is that absolutely. the people who are in the most difficulty, like those people who were crossing this country on trains during the depression who no community wanted. I don't know whether you saw wind at my back the other day about what the issue is. Uh, it was a program on the, the hobos and, and how communities banded together to prevent hobos from having any kind of... That is what happens if you don't have government saying, okay, we have a role to play here so that all people have an equitable chance to some, some relief. I can remember my dad telling me he rode the rails out west. Sure. That's, that's a separate. That's entirely separate from what government should do. Government, you know, it seems to me that the only solution that anyone has for poverty is to force somebody to fund it. That's it. That, that's not compassion. I mean, as I've said a million times on this show, I'd say I would support any kind of charity action that you could think of. You could you could name a million golf golf tournaments, uh, walks across the country, um, you know, dinners that you could hold, fundraisers, uh, charity events on on you know mass tele telemarketing that they have, the Jerry Lewis telethon every year, that kind of thing. I'd support any and all of those things. The one thing I do not support is giving the government the right to rob one person to pay another without that first person's consent. Um, you do have consent. Uh, you elect the government. You no, elect the government that makes if those you and Jack get together to decide to consent to take my money I have not had consent you, if I voted against well, it. Well, so you basically don't agree in, in representative uh, democracy. I what believe that when I vote for a representative, that representative is there to, re to protect my rights, not to take, not to violate my rights. And Marianne, you said that you believe that government should ensure freedom and equality and then everything else you said after that guaranteed that government would not do that. And a, and a question that not. I have... I just disagree with well, you, you cannot, so fundamentally. You cannot... Well, you're not treating the rich the same as the poor. You're taking their money and giving it to the poor. That's not treating them equality right there. What about all the tax but, breaks that the so-called rich exactly. receive? They don't the get tax breaks. Those breaks are, are for, for the investments that they make and for the people they employ, the very people you want to help. 
Mary, when you say that the wealthy have all the resources, could you give me an example of that? I can't see... You mean a person who's rich shouldn't have two cars? Is that what you're telling us? Or are you saying that a person shouldn't have more than four bedrooms in their house? Or what, what do you mean by that? No, because I'm saying that, of course, they can have that, but, but they, they, the taxes that they pay are there. It is enforced sharing of the resources that they have. They can use the other portion of their resources in any way they choose. And then what, what does the wealthy have? What, what does that have to do with the wealthy having all the resources? I don't know what you, what you mean by that. I was talking about um, in the Depression, all of the resources of the country were owned by a very few families. That's becoming increasingly uh, true again, where the, the, the control of the wealth is, is into the hands of fewer and fewer people. Um, we well, that happens any time there's a government that's redistributing wealth. Isn't that sort of universal around the world? I mean, couldn't you have said that about the Soviet Union as well? Okay, and, before and we get into the Soviet <laughs> Union, Robert, we have Jim on the line who has a comment to make to my guest, Marion Boyd and Robert Metz. Jim? Good morning, Jack. Good to hear your voice again. Thank you. Um, boy, it's an interesting topic, and I enjoy it whenever Marion and uh, Bob get on together. Uh, we've heard a lot about the term right wing, but Marion's just as far left as uh, Bob is just as far right. So it's like a pot calling oh, so, the kettle black. So we're a balance, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Marian, sitting Marian in the middle trying to keep peace. That the tithe, actually the tithe was, was a tax to the, to the nation Israel, but that's, that's another subject. Marion, do you believe that citizens have the right, for instance, in the last strike with the teachers' strike, they were Job on... Job action. They were on public... They had the right to strike. They were on public property with pickets, picketing the MPPs. Do you think that's right? Do you think they have that right to do that? Well, I, I do think if, if they're picketing the MPPs' offices, uh, I think that is a way of, of, of helping the general public, and, and picketing is all about information, uh, trying to get people to see it from your pers perspective. So that's, that's, and le that's so legitimate, eh? Pick at, at their offices, yes. Oh, you use the you know, because you know where I'm leading to, don't you? Well, I would not agree with picketing uh, people's individual homes. Oh, uh, so what's I, the I, difference because, then? Because because, because, the, because, because the, teachers teachers did picket. Let me there. finish. Let me start, please. Teachers did picket the MPPs' homes too. They were picketed, and nothing was done. But when you were in office with all the NDP social engineering, you brought that court injunction in, which prevented law-abiding citizens with no court records at all, peacefully marching on public property, not, not, this, not breaking law at all. And you passed that draconian law, which prevents that. Yet when other law, special interest groups court, like the unionists a, do it, nothing said. It was an application to the court, and the court agreed. Uh, to put an interim injunction in place. It and wasn't it's still going. on. It's, the interim injunction is still there. That's right. It is because yes. the court made that determination and even the current government has Well, not I've written to my MPP to have to tell them to, uh, to withdraw. But that okay. is social engineering that the left does. You okay. see, they bring in their little special interest thing because it's wrong for the Christians to picket the doctors, but it's okay for unionists to do it on public property. I don't think it's okay for unionists to picket people's no, individual homes. They can picket offices because oh. the connection is there. Please, please understand that they, the teachers or, or another union would be objecting to government policy, and it's a way of getting that across. That is very different Aside from interfering with the right of a professional property. physician okay, Jim. to meet the needs of an individual. Jim, we've got to move on okay, here. The sidewalk uh, is public property, whether it's in front of a hospital or in front of a home. Thank you for your call. Thank you, Jim, very much. Thank you. Uh, Robert is on the line now. Robert, go ahead. 
Hi, how are you this morning, Jack? Great, go ahead. Good, I only have one, I have one question or comment to throw to them. And I'm in my late 30s. I've, I've heard all the rhetoric through the years of growing up through the 70s and 80s in regards to uh, social programs and social engineering, which has actually taken place in our country, and the social programs to help the poor. The question I have now is that at the end of this 20-some-odd-year experiment that we've had, we have more people in need now and more people on the rolls for welfare and different things even per capita than we did when we all started this. Now, I'd have to say I agree with Robert that cutting taxes, I, I want to help the next person out as much as anybody, but cutting taxes and allowing me to spend the money with inside my family unit, then I would have less need to rely on the government. And when I lose 50% a year to the government, it's crazy. And, and cutting not. taxes, by the way, is the best thing you could do for everybody, for, from right on the lowest, lowest economic rung to the top. And I, I, I'll just say, just throw one thing out. I, I hear Mike Harris knocked a lot in this last half hour or so that I've been listening. But my <laughs> wife and mentioned. I, she's home now because of some of those tax cuts. We were able to fiddle around with her income, make choices, and with some of the extra money. I know it didn't seem like a lot to people, but it made a difference in our lives where my wife can stay home with our two kids now. Robert, thanks very much for your okay. comment. Thanks for joining us this morning. We have on the Cantel line... Terry. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Marion. And good morning, Robert. Morning. Now, right, right, left, or center, um, I, I'm not really too concerned about that this morning. What I would like to do, if I could, is to change the tenor of this conversation just a little. And that is to say that, uh, Jack, you on the federal and municipal level, and Marion, you on the provincial level, I think we all owe you a great deal of thanks for the amount of hard work and the time and energy that you've put into it over the years regardless of the party that you represent. Thank you. Well, thank it, you very much. Well, it, it seems to me that you take an awful pounding from time to time, and uh, there must be, at some point in this, some reward. And uh, you must have moments that are, that are real highs for you when you are making the contributions that you are. We don't often hear about those things, and we don't see a lot of people rushing to uh, offer themselves in public service the way that you people have done. And I was just wondering if, with a listening audience out there that you have, if you could take a moment or two and just offer some advice, maybe share some of those highs to let people know that the sort of life, the sort of dedication that you've had um, is really very worthwhile and, and something that we should all be thinking about as part of our, our own duty. Terry, uh, thank you very much for those comments. Very kind indeed. Uh, we have to move along here. and. Um uh, Terry was calling on the Cantel Cellular Network. Uh, that's uh, star twelve ninety, and you can call us at six four three twelve ninety. This is left, right, and center on twelve ninety CJBK, and we'll be back in a moment. Jack Burkhart sitting in for Jim Chapman, who is playing golf at the Breast Cancer Foundation fundraising tournament today, and I trust that they're having a great day. My guests, Marion Boyd and Robert Metz, on left, right, and center. Marion, uh, the last caller, Terry, suggested that you and, uh, and I should uh, perhaps uh, uh, give out with some advice or some personal thoughts regarding public service. We don't have time to do that today, but it might be something that Jim Chapman might be interested in and then have both of us on some morning. I think, I... We should, I think we should invite ourselves, uh, Jack. I, I think it is important, and it's important to encourage people to be engaged in public service. Okay, uh, we have Dave on the line right now. Dave, good morning. Good morning. 
I was just wondering uh, how fair it is. Like, I don't mind paying taxes. Like, I don't like paying taxes, but it's something that needs to be done. But when at my place of business you have an incentive bonus and you get taxed so heavily that you it's almost not worth having it. Like, I see a $400 incentive bonus on my check, and I'm lucky to come home with $198. And that's part of the taxation system. Yeah, you know, like, you know, there's an old saying that that uh, you know fines are a tax for doing bad, and taxes are a fine for doing good. And it's absolutely true. That's what's happening. In fact, you know, taxes. I believe in a flat tax rate, low taxes, and uh, you know, to me, that would be the solution to that. And then the incentive would stay in place. Yeah, like where's the incentive for me for me to do any better? Exactly. When I when I lose half of it to the government or more. Yeah, it's it's awful with Canada pension unemployment, and then the tax they put on it's like forty eight percent. Well, it's it's pretty awful to lose the services that those dollars pay for as well, and it's pretty awful to lose the capacity to feed your family if you happen to lose your job. But isn't you it take awful a, you to take lose a very different viewpoint of these things uh, while you're working than you do if you're unemployed or if you're if you're a pensioner yourself? Dave, thanks very much for your comment. We're going okay, to have thanks. to wrap it up. Thank you for calling in. Marion and Robert, uh, for me, this has been an exciting moment, uh, or morning. Uh, it's been a number of years since I've sat behind a mic well, hosting a program again, <laughs> <laughs> as such, and perhaps we'll have the opportunity uh, to do it again. Uh, you two really make the program worthwhile, and, and quite obvious as it developed, uh, the calls were here, and we couldn't get them all in. But I really appreciate uh, having you, Marion uh, Boyd, with me today, and Robert Metz from the Freedom Party. Uh, thank you, and of course, you're regular guest with, uh, with Jim. Mm -hmm. let's, let's hope that he's, he is having a good day at the Breast Cancer Foundation. I'll be back at 12.30. I've got another half hour to do in Ask the Experts, and I believe Bud Polhill will be on with me. So in the meantime, thank you for joining me. All the best, and Jim, of course, will be back tomorrow.